Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Again, we're walking through a little uh, mini-series looking at the mind of Christ, and we're looking specifically at verse 8, at least over the next few weeks, uh, and walking through each of these whatevers that we're to be thinking upon. And uh, last time, if you remember, we were talking about truth, but just so it's fresh in our mind, let's read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is what Paul says. He writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, just as a reminder, the uh, whatever language is not a constriction. It's not limitation. Uh, In fact, this is freedom. This is, oh, you can just go crazy and just think about anything you want within these boundaries, uh, which is quite delightful. So again, this is not restriction stuff. This is not limitation stuff. This is not, oh, bummer. This is a, oh, do you realize how much I get to think upon? That's, That's the idea. Uh, last time we were looking at this idea where Paul says that you are to think upon, that you are to fill up your mind with that which is true. Uh, it's interesting that some scholars say that the, the idea of the truth is really the cornerstone of the entire passage and everything else flows from that reality. And in other words, it's whatever is true, well, everything that's honorable is going to come out of that. So truth is honorable, truth is right, truth is pure, truth is lovely. And if, if that helps you think of it that way, then that's, hey, let's just run with that. Uh, but regardless, as we were looking at this idea of truth, you remember that this idea of truth is not just facts and data and information and detail kind of stuff, uh, because I can, I can dwell upon things that are factually true and still miss the truth, because truth is a person. And as we were just analyzing last time, the whole tenor of Scripture is that God himself is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says that the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. And so we recognize that the triune God is the truth. That he doesn't just merely have truth, he is the truth. And then Jesus in John 17, 17 says, hey, your word is truth, so sanctify them by your word, by your truth. And so this whole idea of, hey, would you get your mind wrapped in truth is this idea that could I allow my mind to be guarded, focused, saturated, permeated with Jesus and his word? Can my mind just get wrapped up in God himself? Could, could, Could the boundaries of my mind be God? So what is a lot in my mind? Anything that he allows into my mind. And why would I want to dwell upon that which is deceitful? Why would I want to dwell upon that which is a lie? So you have full freedom to just go crazy with Jesus. You have full freedom. Just fill up your mind with this book. 
and allow this book to be the very boundary and focus and center of your entire life. Isn't that amazing? Please contain your excitement. Some of you are not even awake this morning. Paul continues in, and we're going to look at the second one this morning. He says, not only are you to think upon that which is true, but that which is honorable. Uh, some translations say noble. I really struggled with this word. In fact, I've been realizing I'm struggling with this entire passage, <laughs> if I can be honest. Because this is one of those passages where if you read the commentaries, it's like every commentator is like, yes, think on these things. And then they move on. And you're like, yeah, but what does that mean? What, what does it mean to be honorable in your mind? And I'm, I'm wrestling going, there's, there's a few little descriptions, but that's about all, all anybody ever gives you. And I'm like, dear God, please give me insight. Because if I'm supposed to speak an entire session on this one word, I better understand what this means. And almost all the scholars say that with this word, this is a hard one to understand. So we're going to have a fun time this morning trying to figure out what this means. <laughs> Isn't it interesting in our world today, we, uh, if you were to ask the world or the culture, what is honor? What is honorable? Do you realize that from a cultural standpoint, we tend to define honor by appearance or looks or success or how you dress uh, or your position in a, in, a, in a company, like your title. It's all about your money uh, or people's perspective of you. And it's interesting, almost all, all of those is somehow it's self-centered. I find, I find a great illustration of this concept in 2 Samuel. I love this story. Uh, David is, has, has, is uh, desirous to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And of course, you know the story. They, they did it improperly. They put it on the ox cart, which they weren't supposed to do. The, the priests were supposed to carry it. And of course, Uzzah dies and all that kind of stuff. And David says, I don't know if we want the ark in Jerusalem yet. And so he kind of gives it some time and then eventually realizes that where the ark is at, the household's being blessed. And so David says, hey, uh, we do want the ark in Jerusalem because we want the presence of the Lord. We want to be blessed. And so they, you know, they take the priests, they do it properly this time. The priests are carrying the ark. They're marching into Jerusalem. And David is so excited. And David is so filled with worship and adoration for his God. Please don't do that this morning. But he strips down to his boxer shorts and just starts singing and dancing and praising God and just hooping and hollering and going crazy. Please don't do this. Even if the Spirit of the Lord moves this morning, please. <clears throat> And, of course, his wife, Mikkel, or Michael, however you want to say that, is looking out the window. And she sees David in his boxer shorts jumping and hooting and hollering and praising God. And she's a little offended. You know what story I'm talking about? You remember this whole thing? And so David comes in, and Mikkel is just, she is frustrated. You realize she grew up in a palace. Not a palace as you probably think of it. This is Middle Eastern ancient palace. But hey, she's Saul's daughter. So she had the privileges of a princess of sorts. She has dignity and honor as a princess. And here is her husband, who's now king, not behaving as she thinks a king should behave. And so she confronts him and says, you were out there dancing in your boxer shorts in front of all the maidens of Jerusalem. Do you know what David says? 
let me just read this to you because I just think it's hilarious. Uh, so she comes to David and says, how the king of Israel di- uh, dignified himself today. For he exposed himself today in the sight of his servants' female slaves as one of the rabble shamelessly exposes himself. What is she saying? You are not living honorably. But David said, I was before the Lord who preferred me to your father and to all of his house to appoint me as ruler of the house of the people of of the Lord over Israel, so I will celebrate before the Lord, and I might become even more undignified than this. <laughs> do you know what he's saying? He says, I don't care public opinion. I do not care what looks honorably. I care what God thinks. And if you think this is shameful, if God would desire it, I would take off even that. That's awkward. which we're not going to do it all this morning. But isn't it interesting, her perspective of honor was the appearance thing. It was all about people's perspective. It was all about, hey, what, 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 how are you going to be appeared or how are you going to be understood in the light of the people that you, that you oversee? And David said, I, I don't care about public opinion. I, I don't care what the people around me think. I care what God thinks. And he says, I am honoring, I am living with honor, but it's on the inside stuff. Do you realize that God is not as much interested? Yeah, he's probably interested because it should come out of our lives and how we live and how we talk. I'll, I'll get to that. But do you realize that when we're talking about honor, he's, he wants to go to the very depths of our being. So when we're talking about honor, we're not saying, hey, ladies, wear dresses and guys, you know, put on some knight's clothing, right? Some chain mail and all this kind of stuff and march around and go through the gauntlet. Yeah, that might be honorable, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking heart stuff. In fact, you see that earlier in David's life. Samuel comes to anoint the next king, and they, they, Jesse brings the sons in, and Samuel looks at the oldest son and goes, "Woo! he's going to be the king. Why? He looks like a king. He stands like a king. He has a deep, bassy voice like a king. And so Samuel's like, hey, obviously he's going to be the king. And God looks at Samuel and says, Samuel, stop looking on the outside stuff. I look at the heart. So as we come to this idea of honor, you've got to recognize that, that culture is, is on all this outside stuff. And yeah, the outside stuff may matter. I understand that. But God is really interested in your heart. And what's interesting is if your thoughts were honorable, it will spill out into everything you do. Does that make any sense? So as we look at this word in Philippians 4.8, this idea of honorable, that which is honorable or noble, the Greek word is simnos. And what's interesting is that word is, is deeply complicated because there is layers of meaning to it. So let me give you some potential translations for you to ponder upon. It can mean worthy of respect, dignified, worthy of being honored, entitled to honor and respect, serious, honest, holy, reverent, above reproach. That is quite the diverse definition. Uh, It has this idea of nobility contained within it. It has this idea of dignity and respect. Uh, It has this idea of uh, weightiness or gravity or seriousness uh, because something is deeply respected. It has this idea of majesty and awe associated with it. Isn't this the weirdest word? 
What's interesting is you go back into classical Greek. So when the Greek language was, was just starting, uh, this was a word that the ancient Greeks would use to talk about the gods. You know, like Zeus and Hermes and all those, the Greek god things. And uh, they would say, well, these gods, because they are so lofty, and wow, because they're so majestic, and wow, because they're so far above us, that the gods and the temple in which they reside is this word. And therefore, it demands respect, and therefore, it demands honor, and therefore, it demands worship. As the word throughout classical Greek began to be moved into like the time of the New Testament, that word began to be associated with individuals, people. And it had this idea of people who were living dignified, people who were living honorably, uh, people who were uh, worthy of being respected. Uh, That idea was associated with this. It's interesting, as you look at this word, this word in its different forms shows up seven times in the New Testament, two times in the Old Testament, but seven times in the New New Testament. And almost every single time it shows up, it's in the pastoral letters like Timothy and Titus. Uh, For example, uh, if you're going to be a deacon in the church, you know, a position of leadership, you are called to be this word, often translated dignified. If you're going to be a deaconess, Guess what you have to be as well? This word. Uh, older men, according to uh, Paul to Titus, Paul says that older men are supposed to be this word. That there's supposed to be a gravity, a seriousness, a, a dignity, an honor to their life. Uh, over in, uh, let's find it. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.2, Paul says that all of us, so now you can't get out of this. So even if you're like, I don't want to be a deacon or a deaconess or an old man. Well, you're still in this, you're at least in this category because Paul says all of us should seek to lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and this word. That somehow there should be a sobriety, there there should be a seriousness, there should be a dignity, a gravity, an honor to how we live. Uh, if that didn't help you, let me give you a, uh, let me read you this little statement from an author. Uh, I, think, I think he just said it really well. He says this <clears throat> about defining this word. He says, when we consider the fullness of the historical and biblical data behind this word, we finally unveil a description, get this, of a steady person who is known for thoughtful reflection and well-reasoned, grace-filled responses to life's difficult situations. This person has some weight to their thinking, so much so that the outward pressures do not move them easily. Not to be confused with someone who is stubborn or callous, this person is marked by solidity and steadiness in the way they mentally process the world around them. In other words, they're applying thoughtfulness and wisdom and discernment before they act. Do you do that? I think for so many of us, something happens in our lives and we're so quick to respond that our emotions take over and we just, we don't think things through. We just, we just say the words. We start churning things in our mind. We immediately start reacting and we just, and there's no thoughtfulness. There's no reasoning. There's no wisdom. There's no sobriety, even not only to our language, but to our, our thinking. So let me give you, just give you some handles Practically, let me give you three ideas that come from this word. And it's 
taking basically three different layers that this word has and talking about what does this mean for our thinking? Because again, <clears throat> as a Christian, if, if this is supposed to define some of the boundaries of our thinking, w- all right, what does that mean practically? So number one, your mind is supposed to be a place of steady calm. Uh, we've, we've heard that term that you're to be cool, calm, and collected. It's a great way to describe this word. Uh, that we're, that in the trials and the circumstances and the problems of life, we, we are not quick-tempered. We're not easily pushed around. Uh, we're not just, we don't flare up. We don't start freaking out. We don't, oh no! That there's actually a calm even in the midst of the trials of life. How you doing on that one? I don't know about you. This whole series, I shouldn't have done this. I really should have done something else. I have been so deeply convicted because I could look at this. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm truthful. That's good. Honorable. Yeah, I live with honor. But it's interesting. The more I get in, in, into these concepts, it's just like God's revealing everything in my life that week going, mm-hmm. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to quit studying. <laughs> It'd be easier on my soul. <laughs> I won't. Uh, uh, but it's tempting. I look at that and I'm like, how have I done this last week? Things happen. Get, you get certain news. People say something to you and it just, uh, just frustrates you. Just, uh, uh, uh. That's not this word. This word is, doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what people say to you. It's just, you have a, a gravity, a seriousness, a sobriety, a thoughtfulness to how you handle everything. What if we weren't quick to react? What if we allowed this peace of God to reign in our life in such a way that he, we begin to seek his wisdom, that we lean upon him and say, Lord, I, I don't fully understand this situation, but I trust you. And so, Lord, I'm actually going to fill up my mind not with the chaos that surrounds me. I'm going to fill up my mind with how you think about this chaos. And I'm actually going to see whatever's happening around me, not through my lens. I'm going to see what is happening around me from your perspective. Wouldn't that be interesting if you did that all the time? And, and what if flat tires weren't just flat tires? What if sickness wasn't just sickness? What if that phone call wasn't just, that, just a phone call? What if, what, if you, what if God wanted to give you his perspective in the midst of everything? And it wasn't a quick response. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a quick reaction. It was, I'm going to reason through this from the mind of God. And, and if I'm going to respond, I'm going to respond in a very thoughtful, honorable, respectful way. That convicts me. Uh, James 1.19, sorry, James 1, 1, no, that's not right. James 1.19, just didn't sound right, says this. James says, you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What if that defined our lives? Uh, stories are told of Hudson Taylor that <clears throat> Hudson Taylor was on the mission field in China. And he'd be opening mail and he would get a, a piece of letter that says, hey, we just want to let you know that so-and-so died. 
he'd open another piece of mail and he would say, hey, I just want to let you know that we're going to give a donation to the China Inland Mission for Frank from Frank and, you know, it'll help support all the missionary stuff, you know, for a season. And the reports are that no matter what mail he opened, it never changed his disposition of soul. That there was a seriousness, a sobriety, an honor. That, that if he opened a piece of mail and someone had died, he just, Lord, I trust you. Comfort their family. And Lord, this is so heartbreaking, but man, I, I trust you. Hey, we're going to support you. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for supporting. That, hey, all of our needs are in your hands and we trust you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't laugh. That doesn't mean you can't smile. That doesn't mean you, you, know, you shouldn't be joking around. I, hey, you're still called to have joy. In fact, if you go back up a few verses, look at verse 4 again. Rejoice! So, hey, this is the whole tenor of this whole passage. But what would happen in the midst of your life if there was a gravity, a seriousness, a steady calm, not just in your life, in your soul, but in your mind? We need that. And the days in which we live, you realize we really need that. Because it is so easy to, to look at the political stuff or the economic stuff or whatever it is that you're watching, and it is so easy to be like, oh, no. What if you had a steady calm in your mind? That's this idea. Uh, number two, not just a steady calm, but this idea. It's that your mind is supposed to be a place of respectful dignity. That's interesting that this word, again, when you look at those other uses, uses of this word throughout the New Testament, it has this idea of a dignified lifestyle. It has this idea of a respected person. Uh, the word dignity, I had to look it up because I didn't know what it meant either. Dignity means having or showing a composed or serious manner that is worthy of respect. Have you ever met someone that you just watch them and you're like, wow. They just, they just carry themselves in such a way there's just an honor. There's a dignity to how they live. What if you had that in your mind? That hypothetically, could you imagine if someone could get inside of your mind and looked at how you thought for the last, say, 24 hours? Would they go, I'm actually so in awe that someone could think that way? That there's suddenly this respect and this wow, this honor for how you think? Or would they go, mm, yeah, you're just like everybody else. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had the mind of a Christian? And that the world around you, if they could somehow get inside of your brain, they, they would just, they would see Jesus. They would see the steady calm. They would just see a thought process that was honorable and dignified. That they would have to give it respect. Now, Flip that coin on the other side. What would it look like, not only for your mind to, to have that, but do you realize that you in your mind are to have a dignified respect? Do you know how easy it is? And this is one of those things I've just been so convicted of this week. Do you know how easy it is in our culture today to look at leadership, to look at parents, to look at bosses, to look at roommates, uh, to look at teachers, uh, to look at people around us and actually disrespect them, dishonor them. We do that in how we talk all the time. 
Did you hear what the president did today? Do you realize that the manner in which you speak about our leadership actually matters? And you may not like him, and you may not like his political position, and you may not... I'll stop there. But you realize that we are still called to give honor to those in authority over us? That the way that we talk about our parents, uh, the way we talk about our roommates, the way we talk about teachers, the way we talk about friends, the way we talk about pastors, the way we talk about... And you realize if we're talking about it, it's because it first started in the mind. So what if our minds were so guarded that there was no disrespect, no vulgar, there, there, there was nothing dishonorable in our minds, which means it probably won't come out of our lips. Which means if it's coming out of your lips, it's already in your mind. But what if there was no disrespect or dishonor in your mind for the people around you? People in authority over you? People that you just don't get along with? Okay, you're either not awake or you need some examples. I'll give you some examples. You ever, ever have those moments where someone comes in and you immediately look down upon them for how they dress, how they talk, what they wear, uh, background, culture, whatever, whatever it may be? Do you ever have those moments where someone's doing something and it just irritates the hooey out of you? It just frustrates you? Do you know what both of those come from? Pride. That somehow when, when, when someone is approaching you and if, if you look down on anyone, which we're told not to biblically, but if we look down upon anyone, do you realize it's because I presume that I'm in a higher, loftier position than they are? And Jesus says, do you realize you're actually supposed to esteem others better than yourself? That when someone walks in the room, you go, oh, you're so much better than I am. Yeah, but they're homeless. I know. And almost... Because we're not, we don't have a guard upon our mind, we do this all the time. We walk into stores, we, we walk into classrooms, hypothetically, right? We, we walk into our dorm rooms, we walk into whatever the setting may be, and we immediately start to judge and analyze and start to critique and, wow, can you believe that so-and-so did this? And Did you hear what they said? What are you doing? You're putting yourself in a position of pride. Haven't you ever noticed that the things that typically frustrate you about somebody else is often the things that God's actually working in your own life? Very rarely have I ever experienced frustration where it's actually not something God's putting his finger on in my life. And it's like I'm suddenly seeing what God's working on in my life being demonstrated in someone else's life, and that irritates me. But it's amazing if I let God begin to deal with my frustration— do you realize the same thing that that person's been doing all along no longer bothers me? Why? Because it's actually probably not them, though they do need a change. I am talking about you. <laughs> but it is amazing if I let God deal with my frustration, whatever the inner issue is, then typically the thing that you're doing that frustrates me actually no longer frustrates me. 
Well, well, where's that stemming from? Pride. And you realize that when I allow those thoughts to reign in my mind, and I'm living in this frustration, or I'm living in bitterness, or I'm, I'm living in this, this attitude where I'm looking down upon somebody else, do you realize that is dishonorable, disrespectful, and not supposed to be the mind of a Christian? I'm going to give you another illustration. Have you ever thought that impurity, at the very heart of impurity, lust, is all about dishonor and disrespect? Because what it presumes is that individual has now become, it's actually not a child of God, not a creation of God. It is actually something, a property, something that I can now wield. I can take from my own personal pleasure and desires. And I'm actually dishonoring and disrespecting not only that individual, but their future spouse, their family, God. And so it's interesting, purity is already on this list, and we'll get to that eventually. But you realize that when I live in impurity, I'm actually living with this disrespect and dishonor in my mind. That I've actually taken a creation of God and really put it in the mud and now using it for my own pleasure and desire. Christians are not supposed to think that way. None of you are looking happy yet. (laughs) Isn't this miserable? (laughs) Think about this. Over and over and over throughout the New Testament, we're told that our words are supposed to encourage, edify, and build up the body around us. Uh, For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. Hebrews 3.13, But encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. So we are constantly, I mean, and those, that's just a small sampling, but over and over throughout the New Testament, we are told, hey, encourage, edify, build up one another. Do you realize the only way that's ever going to happen is if it first starts in our minds? And what if we would not only encourage and edify one another with our words, but what if we kept such a guard upon our mind that when we thought of the people around us, it was always that which is edifying and encouraging, even if you need to deal with issues, in other words, say, say there's an issue between, between you and a friend, you realize, yes, you need to address the issue. Yes, you need, you need to have clear communication. We're not talking about being passive or passive-aggressive and, and just sweep everything underneath the, the rug and never deal with anything. That's not what we're talking about. But what if in your mind and in your conversation and attitude as you're approaching that individual to deal with something, what if the whole time you were guarded with an honor and a respect for the individual? that your desire actually was to see them come to life, that, that you would actually see restoration and reconciliation happen between you and the individual, that there was actually hope. And that it wasn't like, a, well, I'm not so sure about that person, and they really drive me crazy, and, da, 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 da. and you're coming into an, a conversation with that. See, what if you came into the conversation, what if you come into this idea of reconciliation with a jubilant expectation but that person, or, but, but, but with a respect and an honor for that individual. This is not normal, folks. Which is why God's calling us, calling us to it. 
because we are not to look like the world around us. We are Christians. So we are not only to live as Christians, we are to think as Christians. Uh, Let me give you one more. So not only is your mind supposed to be a place of calm or a steady calm, it's supposed to be a place of respectful dignity, but did you know that your mind is supposed to be a place of sacred worship? I find it so interesting that the root word of, of this word that we have in our passage has this whole idea with awe, wonder, majesty, and worship associated with it. And again, it goes back to that classical Greek idea of that the, the gods are in a lofty position, therefore oh, we worship them and honor them. And we're Christians, we don't believe all that stuff with the Greek stuff. But we do have a God that is to be honored and worshiped in our minds. When you look at that word and how it transitioned from the classical Greek idea into the New Testament, really the heart of it is this. It is someone who, what we could even call, has this noble seriousness about them and lives in such a way, think about this, where they see the entire world as the temple or sanctuary of God. That their mind becomes the very temple, a place of worship. Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? If that is true, do you not realize that your mind then is in the very position that is to be a sacred environment for worship for the living God that lives inside of your life? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, which includes your thinking, do all things for the glory of God. What if that was true in your mind? What if your mind could actually be a place of worship? Could you imagine if we uh, brought up a big television screen and somehow was able to plug your brain into that television screen and we we hit rewind and we're just going to watch your mind, what you thought of, your attitudes, all that inner stuff for the last 24 hours, just 24 hours. And we were, we were going to show everything from the last 24 hours, everything you thought, the motives behind what you did, just, just everything for 24 hours. Just, just 24 hours. And we played it to an audience. First, would you even want us to do it? Second, and here's really the question, if someone was sitting in their room and they weren't a Christian, would they be so captured by the gospel and Jesus Christ in your mind, that they would say, I need to become a Christian. Why? Because I'm watching your mind. And if that's possible, if that's what you dwell upon, I'm in. I think if most of us were honest, we wouldn't even let the rewind button be pushed. Because those certain thoughts, those certain attitudes, those, those one thoughts, we wouldn't want displayed. Is it possible for God to do such a deep renewing of our minds that he could actually fill it up with that which is honorable and true? That if someone was to somehow get inside of your mind, what they would hear screaming in their face is the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what you're meditating upon? 
that Jesus has so infiltrated your life that, that they would be so captured by him. There's this great story of uh, David Livingston, the old great missionary in Africa. And uh, these stories were coming out of Africa about David Livingston and wild, crazy stories. And so this newspaper reporter in England decided that he would go to interior Africa and investigate these stories of David Livingston. And so he said farewell and got on the ship and went over to Africa, then got on a train and went into interior Africa, then got on the donkey and then got on the boat. And finally, after weeks of traveling, finally met David Livingston. And he spent maybe a week or two there and he got back on the donkey or the, you know, the mule and then the canoe thing and the train and the ship. And, and as he was getting back to England, all of his friends in England threw him a big party to celebrate the fact that he had returned. And, and they, they wanted to be the first ones to hear about David Livingston before, the, before it was in the newspapers. And so over dinner, they were saying, hey, tell us, tell us, is the stories true? And here's what the newspaper man said. He said, Every, everything's true. And then he made this comment. He said, had I stayed there a moment longer, I would have been compelled to become a Christian even though he never spoke of it once. Now, we need to testify of our faith, and it does need to come out of your lips. But wouldn't it be interesting if you had something so tight with Jesus that when the onlooking world looks at your life, they would say, I need, I need whatever it is that you have. Could you imagine if the world could somehow get inside of your mind and you were living with such honor, with such respect, even to the people you would typically not agree with or like. Like, I am not in favor of most things our president is doing. In fact, I don't know of anything at this moment that I'm just like, yes, I fully support. Except the fact that he's in the White House. I do support that. I think that's good. Yay, White House. But wouldn't it be interesting if you could somehow see how I honor our president and not only how I talk, but how I think. You don't agree with him, right? No, I don't. And you don't like his policies? No. So why are you treating with him respect? Because I'm a Christian. You look at the news today, and our, and our world is so divided that the moment you disagree with anybody, it's actually now in vogue, it's now cool, to so hate the other side that you wish them dead. That is not to be in the church, folks. That even with those we disagree with, even those people that would just frustrate us, even those people that we may not fully agree with, whether it's theologically or politically or economically or whatever it may be, do you realize we're still called to live with respect and honor? Isn't it interesting that the early church, as they were being taken off into their martyrdom, had such dignity in how they were willing to die? that people were coming to Christ at these people's deaths? That as, as they were seeing how they were walking into the arenas to be fed to wild lions and beasts or gladiators, that the way that they, would, they just had this countenance and joy and dignity in how they lived, it's like they would watch this and they'd say, uh, you're, not to, you're not supposed to have joy or dignity in the midst of death. So obviously what they have is real. I'm in. And there's all these people becoming Christians because they were watching how Christians died. Could I encourage you 
to not only live that way in how you potentially may die, but in how you actually live. That when the onlooking world looks at you, and if they could somehow get inside of your mind, they would be so captured by the reality of Jesus Christ. So can I ask you, how are you doing in your mind? Do you have a steady calm in every situation? Or when you get the news or when that situation happens, are you thrown all over the place and you can't think straight and you're just responding out of emotion and you're just, I'm not saying remove emotion and think logically. I'm saying you need to bring emotion under the authority of Jesus. And what if you would have his perspective? Do you have honor and respect in your mind for the people around you, for those who teach you, for your pastors, for your parents, for the governmental leaders? Is, is every thought in your mind truly worship unto Jesus Christ? That, that because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then that includes your mind, and your mind is supposed to be a set-apart place for him, a place that's marked by holiness? I don't know about you, but I need Jesus. And I need, I need to get so tight with Jesus that, that he would transform my mind so that I could be filled up with truth and that which is honorable. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. <clears throat> Lord, we don't just say the words. We don't just sing the words. Lord, it is truth. We desperately need you. And Lord, we, we need you to come and fill up our minds, renew our minds, transform our minds, and fill it up with you, with your word, with your truth. Lord, could, could we as Christians have such a mind that is marked by honor, that there is a sacred dignity about our, our minds, that there's this gravity and sobriety, yes, full of joy, yes, full of laughter, but, but there's a thoughtful seriousness that is full of dignity in how we think and thus how we respond in our actions and our words. Lord, could you fill up our mind to such a degree with you that, that our, our, our minds become a place, a sanctuary of holiness, that if someone could just see how I think throughout a day, they would just be like, wow, I didn't know that's even possible. That I, I just thought your whole, I just thought the normal reality of thinking was full of pride and selfishness and lust and envy and fear but I, I see Jesus in your life. Lord, we need that. Oh, I need that. Lord, I don't want to esteem good Christian thinking and not live it. So Lord, I freshly this morning repent of all the disrespectful, of all the dishonorable, of all the muck and the mire thinking that hasn't been dignified that hasn't been noble or honorable, that has been profane, that I'd be so embarrassed for people to, to see. And Lord, I realize that the only option I have to have a mind that is marked by honor and holiness is I need you, the Holy One, to come and fill this thing up. So Lord, I do want to set a guard upon my mind to that which is true and that which is honorable, but Lord, I need you your peace to be that guard as you promise in verse 7. 
So, Lord, would you be the guard upon my heart and my mind? And would you literally flush, press out everything that doesn't belong? Oh, that our minds may dwell upon you, the living God. Lord, thank you that we don't have to live in the squalor of the world in our thinking, but you have set us free to think upon anything we want that is true and honorable, which ultimately is you. What an amazing reality, Jesus. And Lord, this morning, we we don't want to just nod our heads. We, we want to declare how good you are. Lord, we want to worship. We don't want to just sing some songs. We don't want to mouth some lyrics. Lord, could somehow we freshly behold you, and in the midst of beholding you, could something bubble up inside of our life? And may we worship, for you are worthy. And Lord, may this morning even be a practice ground to train our minds to be a place of worship unto you. So, Lord, fill our minds, focus our minds on that which we are singing because we just want to sing about you. Lord, we love you. Oh, we praise you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.